0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, Burger King and Nickelodeon have come out especially aggressively this month to push radical far-left LGBT propaganda. Both of these companies, though, would be bankrupted tomorrow if conservatives responded by refusing to ever patronize them again like we should. But that won't happen. Why is that? We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including the CEO of Pfizer, says that children don't really need the vaccine, but they're going to be testing it on kids anyway for the sake of protecting adults. Isn't that completely backwards? And Chris Harrison of The Bachelor has officially lost his job after groveling and apologizing to the mob, despite having done nothing wrong. So that same old story again. And finally, in our daily cancellation, National Geographic has a message for Whitey be ashamed, be very ashamed. We'll discuss that and much more today on the Matt Wall show. One of the newer traditions of Pride Month is the perpetual redesign of the Pride flag. Every year, more colors are added to it as more identities and sexualities sneak their way into the LGBT club. At this point, the rainbow has become less a rainbow and more of a random, chaotic assortment of contrasting colors. As Ben Shapiro put it, the Pride flag now looks like a cat vomited and then looked at the vomit through a kaleidoscope. Now, Media Matters was upset with Ben for that description, uh, by the way, but I, and I was upset too, mainly because I didn't think of it. Anyway, our dear friends over at Pink News helped to unveil the new pride flag, which, um, which you can see. You, you notice that the traditional rainbow, and then you know, we know about that, and then there are these other colors that are sort of jutting out, literally and figuratively pushing the traditional rainbow out of view. The newer colors are meant to represent trans people and also black and brown people. Now, you might ask why black and brown people need their own colors on the flag. It's not as though the original colors were representative of anyone's specific race. Wasn't it supposed to be for all races? There, there, there's, purple was on the original pride flag. There are no purple people running around out there as far as I know, though if anyone identifies as purple, then of course I'll respect that self-identity. The whole thing doesn't make sense, but then making sense has never been a specialty of LGBT activists. What makes the least sense of all? is the yellow triangle on the new flag with a purple circle, which is meant to represent intersex people. My point is not that the symbol is nonsensical, though it is, but that the inclusion of intersex people on a pride flag at all is nonsensical. Putting intersex people under the LGBT umbrella, including them in the acronym LGBTQI, I think, uh, we're up to A, so on and so on. But it makes no logical sense. Intersex is a medical condition. It's a birth defect. It's a congenital disorder. Intersex is when someone is born with ambiguous genitalia or genitalia that has an appearance that doesn't match with their biological sex. This, again, is a medical condition. It has a medical cause. Lots of times when a child's born this way, you you can figure out what the cause was. It's not a mystery. It's not an orientation. It's not a lifestyle choice. It's not a chosen identity. It has absolutely nothing to do with being gay or trans or anything. You might as well include diabetics and people with food allergies on the flag. So why are intersex people being lumped in this way? The answer is that they are useful to the trans agenda. It's the only reason they're there. Trans activists will often use intersex people as a way to to prove that sex is non-binary. You hear this all the time, right? What do you mean? What about intersex? Oh, You think that uh, there's only males and females? What about intersex, huh? And if they they think if they can use intersex people to to prove that sex is non-binary, that would, uh, you know, validate the transgender identity. The problem is that intersex people do not prove that sex is non-binary. They only prove that physical anomalies exist. Just as people born with one arm don't disprove the statement that humans have two arms. And besides, whatever they prove or don't prove, they do nothing to validate the claims of a biological male with a fully male body who claims to be a woman. It's a totally different thing. The inclusion of intersex people into this whole discussion is nothing but obfuscation. It's dissembling. They should make the circle into a shield because that's what the intersex condition is for LGBT activists. It's something they can hide behind. But that is all somewhat irrelevant to the point at hand. Getting to the point, and for a more thorough explanation of the pride flag, we can now turn again to Nickelodeon, which enlisted a drag queen to explain the pride flag to children. If this sounds like a rerun from last week, if you're saying, well, well, did we just do this last week? We did. Um, Nickelodeon had the drag queen Nina West sing a song about gay pride on Blue's Clues, uh, a a show for preschoolers just a few days ago. Now West is back and cross-dressing again to perform another gay pride song for preschoolers. And I will now subject you to a small portion of it. You're welcome. Here it is. Here it is. Represent Transgender people because every letter in LGBTQ plus is equal and black and brown represent the queer and trans people of color doesn't it just fill you with pride showing who you are. Purple is spirit. Baby blue, pink, pink, and white represent transgender people, and black and brown represent the queer and trans people of color. We're all in this together. So wave that pride flag, we we'll up forget. Go big, be big, kind, be you Inappropriately An bad and ugly song about a hideously ugly flag. And that's the only thing I can call appropriate here. By the way, the drag queen's real name, I should mention, is Andrew Levitt. And I want to show you what he looks like in real life. Um, and the only reason I want to show you that is, is in order for, is so that you know, you know, okay, well, there's Andrew Levitt right there. Um, Nina West. I mean, this this is a guy who's made it his mission now to sing about transgenderism and pansexuality to preschoolers. That's his mission in life, apparently. But in order for Levitt to go from what you see in this photo to what you saw in the video, he must appropriate womanhood in the most demeaning and cartoonish way imaginable. As I've argued many times, drag queens are an example, a rather garish in-your-face example, of actual appropriation. These men are making caricatures out of womanhood. If a white guy in dreads is somehow appropriating from black people, even though white guys have been wearing dreads for millennia, then certainly a man with fake breasts, a wig, a dress, a female stage name, etc., is appropriating from women. But they get away with it because drag is associated with LGBT identities, and LGBT stand at the top of the victim hierarchy, even though these are the least oppressed and most celebrated people in society, hands down. As for the fact that this was on Nickelodeon, I have frequently discussed the issue of the sexual indoctrination of children. This obviously is another case of that. Nickelodeon is not at all hiding its agenda. Okay, that's the point. They're they're not shy about it. They have announced to the world with parades, literally, and fireworks and trumpets blaring that they wish to indoctrinate very young children into far-left radicalism. They wish to introduce concepts like pansexuality and transgenderism to your three-year-old. They wish for your three-year-old to actually adopt one of those identities, and they're going to try to make that happen. They're not being coy about this. It's right there in the open. But here's the sad thing, and it's also the reason conservatives are losing the culture war. I can guarantee many conservative parents, even after being made aware of this, will still allow their children to watch the network after all this. I mean, they put out two videos of a drag queen pushing transgenderism, etc., on preschoolers in the span of a week, and yet still many parents who rightly object to that kind of content will not prevent their children from being exposed to it. Worse, they will justify their laziness and neglect on the basis of principle. They'll claim that it goes against their conservative principles to boycott or to engage in cancel culture. Even if they're canceling, quote-unquote canceling, major corporations that are trying to brainwash and corrupt their own children. These are the same people who probably will still eat at Burger King, um, although Burger King put out a tweet yesterday, taking a shot at Chick-fil-A and announcing that, uh, and the shot at Chick-fil-A, who cares? Uh, what I do care about is that they announced they'll make a donation to the human rights campaign for every chicken sandwich they sell. Now I've been to Burger King maybe twice in 15 years and both times to use the bathroom on a long drive, you know, uh, it, Burger King is good for that at least. There might have been one other occasion at an airport when they were the only place open, but that's about it because the food is trash. That is unless you enjoy soggy french fries and hamburgers that are made eight hours ahead of time then zapped bun and mayo and, and everything in the microwave right before serving it. That's why when you uh, when you do get Burger King, everything is piping hot, including the mayo itself is like scalding hot, like molten lava, because they put everything in the microwave. It's hard for me to believe that anyone eats at Burger King regularly and on purpose, but apparently people do. And again, the sad thing is that people still will eat there after this, conservatives included. They have just told us that they will take our money. If you give it to them, they will take it and they will give some of it to the Human Rights Campaign, which is a radical far left militant organization. If you eat at Burger King now, you're not only playing Russian roulette with food poisoning, but you are directly giving to one of the most radically leftist advocacy organizations in existence. And yet Burger King probably will not see a massive drop off in sales as every conservative decides to spend their money elsewhere. That's what's so sad and pathetic. Burger King would be bankrupted if every conservative stopped eating there. Nickelodeon would also be put under if every conservative parent stopped allowing their children to watch it. But that's probably not what's going to happen. And that's why we lose. If we want to win, we have to start playing for keeps. We have to make these companies pay a price. We have to decide what exactly we're conserving as conservatives. That's the classic question. I know for me, I am most I can answer that question. Uh, What do I want to conserve? I want to conserve moral decency, sanity, truth. As a parent, first and foremost, I want to conserve my own children's souls and innocence. If you're not focused on conserving any of that, then I just don't know whose side you're on exactly. And whatever side it is, we aren't on the same one. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now we check in with our sponsors over at AR500 Armor. You know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about, especially recently, I've I've always had this on my mind, but uh, it's been on my mind even more recently, is about the need uh, and responsibility that I have to keep my family safe. And that's uh, one great advantage of the Second Amendment. That's one thing the Second Amendment enables us to do. And you've heard me share about how important Second Amendment is to the foundation of our country and how preparing yourself uh, is so important and body armor is also a part of that. I'd recommend you check out AR500 Armor. They have loadouts uh, designed for everyone, whether you need a concealable vest for daily use, a plate carrier for the range, or a fully equipped setup for the worst case scenario. Whatever it is, they've got it all. You just gotta go and check it out for yourself. Our friends at AR500 Armor have made buying body armor easy, approachable, and affordable. And if you're unsure of what type of armor you're needing, uh, or you just need some pointers or whatever it is, they've got you covered on that as well. So they're very helpful. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna give you what you need. So go to ar500armor.com/walsh to see all their promotions and special pricing running right now. You can use code Walsh for twenty percent off anything else in their entire store. Best of all, they put together some packages specifically for listeners of the Daily Wire. So there's something for everyone at ar500armor. Visit ar500armor.com/walsh and use code Walsh to check out for twenty percent off. Speaking of the innocence of children, does anyone? I don't know if this is a thing. Uh, if this is a normal thing with kids, because I only have my own kids, but my kid is this is other parents. Do you do you have this? Where uh, see so my kids will wake up in the morning, very early, and start singing. They bounce. I mean, they're literally bouncing off the walls and singing at about 6 a.m. I left the house this morning. or I I got up around 6 a.m. And I, I heard my son upstairs and like he had just woken up himself and he's already, and he's singing. It's like I'm living in the it's like the Von Trapp family, sound of music. And I'm not a morning person at all, but that's that's what my kids. And I can kind of, see, I I remember being a kid myself vaguely, and I can remember I, I remember it as Christmas was really the day when I would wake up at the all the all of us, you know, and my siblings would wake up at the crack of dawn. We're pounding on my parents' door. Wake up, wake up, come on, it's time. And they're just grunting at us like grizzly bears. Eh, get, away, get away, it's too early. I remember doing that on Christmas and, and birthday special occasions. My kids do that every day. Every day. But you know what? It's what I said, it's innocence. It's they're, they're just so excited. That's what makes it kind of sad because I think, why am I not the same way? They are so excited to be awake. As soon as they wake up, it could be 530 and they're just ready to go. Let's go. It's time. Another day singing joyously before the sun rises. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very cute, but it's also uh, incredibly annoying. Okay, let's go number one here. The chairman and CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, he tweeted this yesterday. He says, although data shows that severe COVID-19 is rare in children, widespread vaccination is a critical tool to help stop transmission. That's why I'm excited we have begun dosing participants aged 5 to 11 in a global phase uh, 2-3 study of the Pfizer vaccine. Just the phrase, I'm excited we've begun dosing participants age 5 to 11, that is creepy enough. I'm excited we've started dosing them. He continues, this is an essential study to help further evaluate the vaccine. And if safety and um, immunogenicity in this age group is confirmed, protect our communities and children age 5 to 11. We're grateful for the enthusiasm we have been seeing in response to the trial. We couldn't advance this work without courageous volunteers. Courageous volunteers? Who are the courageous volunteers? What do you mean courageous? The kids aren't volunteering. They don't know a, a five-year-old. Are you? Call, I hope we're not calling a five-year-old a volunteer. They have no idea. if They have no idea what they're volunteering for. Yeah, all they know is that after this thing happens, they get a lollipop and a sticker. That They're volunteering for a lollipop and a sticker. That's what they're volunteering for. Um, the possibility of side effects and everything else, they, they don't know anything about that. So, no, it's the parents who are volunteering them to, volunteering to take this dose to help the drug company confirm the safety of The shot for kids. Meaning we haven't confirmed that it's safe yet. We haven't confirmed that this drug is safe for kids yet. Hey, parents, do you want to line your kids up and we'll uh, shoot it into their arms and see what happens? To help us confirm the safety. So who are the courageous ones? The parents? The parents are courageously putting their own kids' health on the line? Is that courageous for them? Because it's not them, it's their kid. This to me is so backwards and uh, and just wrong and infuriating. You know, why are you got the CEO of Pfizer who is saying the COVID 19, the a rare COVID 19, or rather a severe COVID 19 is rare in children? We, we know that, everyone knows that. It's, very, it's rare that they contract it. It's, rare, it's even more rare that they have a severe reaction to it. It's rare that they spread it. All of that is rare. They're, they're, they're not a, a high-risk group. So why do they need to take the vaccine at all? Why are we doing this at all for them? Well, we're doing it to protect the grown-ups. And that's why I've been hammering on this point this the whole time. From, from day one, how we've got this completely backwards. Over the last, uh, whatever, 14, 15 months, we have been requiring, and when I say we, I mean like the universal we as society, we have been requiring our kids to make sacrifice after sacrifice for us, to keep us safe and to make us feel better. And I have to amend that because it's not really to keep us safe and make us feel better. It's to make us feel better, because our safety was never significantly uh, put put, it, put at risk by kids running around without masks on. Kids wearing masks that doesn't that doesn't really do much for our own safety. It just it just makes us psychologically feel better. What psychological effect does it have on the kids? Who cares? It's not about them. It's about us. It's supposed to be, what happened to, it should be the exact opposite. What happened to us as grownups making sacrifices for kids? I have also said from the beginning, I will happily risk getting COVID for the sake of not forcing kids to wear masks. If my own kids had contracted COVID, which again would have been a, a, a rare occurrence, but if they had was going to put masks on them and segregate them from the family. If they got it, right, I had this. We, my, my wife and I talked about this early on. We said, well, if they get it, then we're getting it. It's just, that's just what it's going to be. We're not, we're not going to lock them in a room somewhere. Treat them like rabid animals. And now we're dosing them with this, um, with this drug. And what's even, if you got the vaccine, see, no one can explain this. If the vaccine works, if it's effective, then why do you need kids to have to take it? What are you worried about? Is it effective or not? All right. Next, we have. Um, I just want to play this for you. Mitch McConnell had brief comments about why he opposes the so-called voting rights law from uh, from Democrats, and I saw this making the rounds on social media. People were kind of upset about it about what he said here, but uh, he's exactly right. So here's what he said. There's no threat to the voting rights law. It's against the law to discriminate in voting on the base of race already. And so I think it's unnecessary. Now, that's it. There's, there, there's no threat to voting rights in America right now. And uh, it, people were upset, of course. Leftists were upset. How dare he? Couldn't give an example of How how are anyone's voting rights on the line? How are anyone's voting rights being infringed? once Once you reach voting age, everyone can vote. There's nothing stopping you. It's easier than it's ever been. There's absolutely nothing preventing you. If you're legally eligible to vote, there's nothing preventing you from doing it. This is one of the biggest strawmans in the, in, you know, in political discourse right now. It's about voting rights. We have to protect voting rights. What what do you mean protect voting rights? They are under no threat at all. There are no laws preventing anyone from voting on the basis of race in in America in the year 2021. That doesn't exist. Oh, voter ID. But voter ID, uh, really voter ID is a, is a, is a. Is a ploy. It's a conspiracy to stop uh, black people from from voting. Still, no one's been able to explain why can't. So, what you're saying, a black person can't get an ID. You're saying that most of them don't already have IDs, like white people do. You need it to participate in society as an adult, anyway. I mean, I don't know who these adults are. Who don't have photo IDs, but I, I I don't know who they are. I never meet them because they wouldn't be really be able to do anything without one. Who, can someone give me an example? I want an example. Show me, uh, you know, an adult. I don't mean someone that just turned 18 or whatever. Show me like uh, someone who's 30. Okay. Or 25. And really wants a photo ID and doesn't have one yet. Who Who is that person? And whoever it is, let us know who that person is, because we can easily explain to them. We can say, hey, uh, all you got to do is go to the the DMV. There's definitely a DMV near you. You can easily get there. I don't know who, I I just don't know who these, I don't know who the people are who can't find IDs or don't know how to get them, but there is no, no threat to uh, voting rights. And I say that, as you know, as someone who, uh, I actually want to restrict voting rights, not on the basis of race but on the basis of, of knowledge and competency. I've been very clear about that all along. I think, I think way fewer people should be voting. And I'm actually in favor of restricting voting rights um, in order to keep ignoramuses of all races and sexes out of the voting booth. But that that's my agenda. That's what I would like to see happen. There is no support for it, sadly. See, I'm the guy who wants to do that and is very open about it, and I can tell you, on the right, there is no really almost no support for my view, especially not for people in power. I am I am way out on a on in the fringes with uh with with that view, and I fully admit that. So you, you got nothing to worry about. All right. Number three is from CNN. It says Chris Harrison is not getting a rose from ABC. The show's producer and distributor, Warner Horizon and ABC Entertainment, confirmed to CNN Tuesday in a joint statement that the longtime Bachelor franchise host is exiting the show. The statement reads Chris Harrison is stepping aside as host of the Bachelor franchise. We're thankful for his many contributions over the past 20 years and wish him all the best on his new journey. We're thankful, but we threw him under the bus. We destroyed him. We ruined his life and his career. Uh, But we, we wish him all the best. It's like you've just trampled this guy into the ground. And he's laying there. His bones are broken. He can't move. He's paralyzed. And then you say, hey, wish you all the best. Harrison announced in February that he was stepping aside from the show following controversial remarks. Well, I don't need to keep yeah, controversial, <laughs> controversial remarks. No, I'll, I'm not going to let CNN explain to you what happened. If you don't remember, Chris Harrison, host of The Bachelor, uh, he, he uh, was responding to the controversy surrounding another a contestant, Rachel Lindsay white woman who years prior as a college student had gone to an antebellum themed like old South themed, uh, frat party, which have been very common. It's not racist. Okay. It's not, it's there's, 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 there's not Confederate flags hanging all over the place. Okay. This is not a, um, a, a, a it's not a Confederacy themed, uh, party. In fact, it's antebellum means before the war. So um, she went to this to this party, not racist at all. There was a picture of it, and remember, then and then she there's this big racism controversy, and they were trying to cancel her and destroy her. All Chris Harrison does is he, he in an interview with uh, Rachel. Oh no, Rachel Kirk Cannell is now. I'm getting all confused. Maybe I did need CNN to explain this. Rachel Kirk Cannell is the is the white. The uh, contestant who got canceled. Rachel Lindsay is another host. And um, Chris Harrison was in an interview with Rachel Lindsay. And all he did was defend Kurt Connell and say, hey, you know, m- maybe we don't need to ruin her life because she went to a frat, frat party or sorority party a few years ago. You know, maybe there's no reason to do that. Let's have a little bit of grace and forgiveness. That's what he said. He called for grace and forgiveness. And for that, he had to step down. And now he's gone from the show permanently, which I think we all saw coming. But he's another one. Just like, uh, who is it? Ellie Kemper. We talked about yesterday. Both of them. I can't really defend them because they both apologized. And he came out, Chris Harrison came out just groveling and begging for forgiveness, even though he had done nothing wrong at all. He still loses his job anyway. And they're not done. So CNN, uh, on news that Chris Harrison was stepping down, CNN decided to dance on his grave. And uh, Don Lemon brought Rachel Lindsay, the Bachelor host, who had the uh, who had the initial interview with Chris Harrison, where he defended Rachel Kirkconnell, brought her in, and they just decided to you know to to spit on him a little bit more while he's down. Let's watch that. What did you think when you heard Chris Harrison make this distinction between attending an old South antebellum theme party in 2018 versus now? I mean, 2018 was just like yesterday. We had Charlottesville had happened in 2018. We had racial reckoning in America in 2018, as if it was somehow OK then. Well, we had racist issues on the show in 2017. There was a racist contestant casted for my season. In 2018, uh, the lead picked someone who who was liking racist, xenophobic, transphobic, homophobic things on social media. So we've dealt with this within the franchise. So my initial reaction was I was shocked. I thought maybe he misspoke. But then when he continued down this path, I thought, oh, no, this is really what he wants to say. And I felt I needed to let him say it. Why do you think Chris Harrison was willing to give Rachel Kirkconnell so much room for her hurtful actions, yet couldn't muster an empathy towards communities of color who were offended? Or even to you in that interview, and correct me if I'm wrong, seemingly as if trying to teach you something or, I mean, just go on. Well, I think that's the problem in our society is that people aren't trying to understand the other side. (laughs) People aren't trying to understand the other side. Unlike you, Rachel, right? You really wanted to understand his point of view. She wanted to understand his point of view so, so much that she was shocked that he would even have a point of view that differs from her own. That's what you're getting is that both both Rachel and Don there are they're 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 flabbergasted. They're, they're almost speechless still, now, months later, they haven't gotten over the emotional trauma caused by the fact that this guy had a had a point of view that slightly differed from theirs. And only slightly. Because he wasn't even defending. He, he wasn't going as far as I'm going right now, really, really extreme. You know, I'm. I'm. I would flat out say there's nothing wrong with the party she went to. That's what I would say. He didn't even say that. He wasn't defending the party. In fact, he kept he kept hedging and 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 uh, all of that. He was very circumspect about it. And he kept he kept saying over and over again, "I'm not defending it. I would never defend it. I'm not saying. It. I just, all I'm saying is maybe we have a little grace and forgiveness." That was his only. So, so it's a slight, slight divergence from from their own view. And that he would even diverge slightly. I mean, Rachel Lindsay said it. She was was sitting there shocked, just speechless. Are you you telling me this white man is daring to disagree with me? I can't believe it. Well, clearly we have to destroy his life. That's what she decided to do. And as much as I would like to defend Chris Harrison just because I detest this kind of thing... And I think Rachel Lindsay obviously is a vile, vile, evil person. And I don't think that's going overboard. When you, like, when you just destroy someone's life for no reason, no reason at all, just to exert your own power and influence and just so you can position yourself as the victim. Yeah, that is evil behavior. So on that basis, I'd like to defend Chris Harris, but I can't because he groveled and apologized and it got him nothing. And I could keep on saying this and it won't matter because people will keep on doing it. But he might as well. You see, it, it's too late now. See, he's, he's, he's already admitted guilt. He lost his job. He's admitted basically that he's a racist even though he isn't. Yeah, would he have lost his job if he had come out from the beginning and said, you know what? I didn't say anything wrong. How dare... All of you. You all owe me an apology. Rachel, Lindsay, you disgusting brat. You know what you're doing. I demand you apologize to me. Now, if he he had said that, would he have lost his job? Yes. Would he have lost it a lot quicker? Absolutely. But he was losing it anyway. And at least there he has his dignity. And also he can continue to... You know, he has not admitted guilt. But it won't matter. Um, this is just for, for someone like Chris Harrison, especially living in the world that he does. Uh, it, it's, it, it's instinctive to, to apologize. The moment he sees that he's losing social acceptance, which is the thing that he craves most of all, even more than money and his job and everything. What he wants is to be socially accepted. And, uh, and he clings on to that. All these people do. And the moment he sees that slipping through his fingers, he, he says whatever he thinks he needs to say to maintain some chance of, of social acceptance. And it's all for not, It's all for nothing. All right, let's see. Um, I think we had one more here, if I can find it. Okay, from The Daily Wire, it says a... Um, Loudon County, Virginia, and eventually I'll figure out how to actually pronounce, is it Loudon? I think it's Loudon. Okay. Loudon, Loudon County, Virginia, um, a Loudon County, Virginia elementary school teacher who was placed on administ- administrative leave in May for refusing to affirm transgender identity. Children was reinstated by a judge on Tuesday. Byron Tanner Cross, who uh, teaches physical education at Leesburg Elementary School, secured a temporary injunction from Judge James Plowman in his lawsuit against uh, Loudon County Public Schools. According to an announcement from Alliance Defending Freedom, which defended him, ADF tweeted, quote, Tanner Cross, a Virginia elementary school teacher and ADF client who was suspended for raising concerns to the board about proposed gender policy, has won a temporary injunction and the judge has ordered his reinstatement, a massive victory for freedom of speech. I would only offer uh, one correction. It's not just a v- victory for freedom of speech, it's a victory for, for truth, for science, For sanity, all those things that I said we should be conserving, it's a victory for that. Um, Local WTOP reporter Neil uh, Augenstein reported that Plowman found the school system's suspension was unconstitutional and its handling of the situation was vindictive. Yeah, you think? The school argued that it suspended Cross not for his beliefs, but because of the disruption he allegedly caused. But Plowman said there was simply an absence of evidence that any disruption to school operations took place. And yeah, if it does disrupt school operations, it's because you have decided to operate the school around this anti-science, anti-truth, totally insane gender theory thing. If if a teacher simply affirming that boys are boys and girls are girls— disrupts operation. That tells me something about the way that the school is being operated. But now he's being reinstated. So I wanted to to highlight that story as a nice little contrast. Okay, in one case, you have a guy who didn't do anything wrong, grovels and apologizes, loses his job, loses everything, loses respect, loses social acceptance, loses everything he wants. He he gives up his dignity and, and in exchange gets nothing in return. The very next story, you have someone who also did nothing wrong, faced consequences for it. Rather than apologizing, rather than coming out and saying, oh, gee, uh, you know, come to think of it, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess sometimes boys are girls. (laughs) Silly me. I'm so sorry for my transphobia. Rather than doing that, which is what most people do, we have this teacher who's fighting back. He's saying, hell no, this is not going to happen. I'll take you to court. And for now, he's he's winning. And even if he doesn't ultimately win, I mean, even if ultimately he gets uh, he loses the job, when all is said and done, and all the and, and you know it's, this has made its way through all the courts and everything, still, you know, before, he would have lost his job anyway. But now he retains his dignity, and he's and he's fighting for truth, and he's doing the right thing, and he's sending a message. But you know what? Not everybody is going to slink away quietly. Finally, quick bonus thing I just wanted to show you. An Indiana Jones Twitter account or something, unofficial account, I think, had a picture from, I didn't even know this was a thing that was happening. I can't say I'm surprised, but uh, they had a picture from the set of Indiana Jones 5. And the tweet says, exclusive photo we got right now. There's the picture. Harrison Ford cited on the set of Indiana Jones 5. Look at that picture. How depressing is this? Harrison Ford, how old is Harrison Ford is like 80 years old, almost, I think. So you've got this old, kind of shriveled man wearing wearing a face mask outside, presumably he's already vaccinated. Indiana Jones, now elderly and wearing a and too afraid to walk outside without a mask. Just let it go. Like Indiana Jones, the first three movies were were entertaining. It was an entertaining story, entertaining idea. Let it go. But you know what? Just like conservatives will keep going to Burger King for whatever reason and they'll let their kids watch uh, Nickelodeon. People are going to file into the theater or at least go on streaming to watch this joke of a movie. (laughs) To watch an 80-year-old Indiana Jones fighting bad guys we all complain about this kind of stuff the the never-ending sequels and they just they, they run these franchises into the ground we complain about it but people still watch the movies so as long as we watch them they're going to keep churning them out all right let's go now to um, reading the youtube comments it says uh, there was something so unnatural about hearing matt utter the words my sweet babies Anthony says, Matt calling all of us sweet babies gave me PTSD. But then another comment says, okay, so Matt's fan base is officially known as the Sweet Baby Gang. I, uh, I, I guess I can't really tell anyone else how to identify themselves. So if you want to be the Sweet Baby Gang, you can be. Yeah, you know what? Let's go with that. Just to, just to really confuse everybody who doesn't listen to the show. Hearing people who are fans of the show identify themselves as a sweet baby gang. And the agreement we have to make is that we never explain to anyone where that comes from or why. Um... Bo 7341 says, Matt, you're usually on point, but you missed the Trump-DeSantis thing. If Trump builds up the Trump-DeSantis 2024 momentum right now, it'll hand DeSantis the nomination when Trump announces he's not running in 2023. Meanwhile, the mainstream media will stay focused on Trump instead of targeting DeSantis. If that's the goal with the talk of Trump-DeSantis 2024, then great. Okay. I just really don't think that is the goal. Um, I don't think Trump is going to do that for someone else. You know, tr- Trump offering himself sort of as a human shield for some other guy so that he can take the reins. Th- that would be great if Trump would do that kind of thing, but Trump doesn't do those kinds of things. So, um, no, I don't, I don't think that's the... I also, I don't think that Trump DeSantis, the Trump DeSantis thing is actually going to happen because I don't think DeSantis would do that because it'd be a terrible idea for him. But uh, I also, I, 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 your interpretation, I'm not sure I quite agree with. Trail Price says, in your ideal world, you wouldn't have factory farms. How do you define these factory farms and what exactly do you think they're getting wrong? I have utmost respect for our farmers and ranchers. They're the stewards of the environment and they take pride in producing high quality food and enjoy uh, and, and enough to feed the world. Well, that's why I said ideal world. You know, and we, we talk about Greta Thunberg or, or any of these environmentalists, um, they don't draw any distinction between an ideal world. And first of all, a lot of their ideals I don't share. In many cases, their ideal world is a dystopian nightmare. But even some of their objectives that I agree with, they don't have any, any discernible, practical plan for getting there. I mean, the Green New Deal is a perfect example of that. Most of the stuff that the Green New Deal wants to do is bad, but even the goals that could be good, there's no practical way of getting there. So that's what I'm talking, it's just total. it's an ideal world. In an ideal world, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, we would have a lot of small kind of mom and pop farms and that's how we would be living and it'd be, it'd be a simple life and, and all of that. I, I could see that as ideal, but that's just not the world we live in. And again, we have 330 million people in this country who uh, have to eat. Um... And finally, a possum says, sometimes I wake up and realize I'm out of coffee and I still go to the grocery store in my PJs. I feel no shame. Well, you should feel shame. We, we have all done it. I mean, we've all left the house looking like slobs, not bothering to get changed. But you should feel shame about it. I think we all spend uh, way too much time sitting. We can all agree with that. And sometimes our job requires us to do quite a lot of sitting. Um, but... If you got to sit this much, you should really think about the kind of chair uh, you're sitting in. It can make a lot of health, not a, a lot of a difference, not only to your to your uh, to your comfort, but also to your health. And that's why you need X Chair. X Chair has you covered for your office chair needs. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back, but now, thanks to their XHMT technology, you get heat and massage therapy while you're just sitting at your desk. Uh, instead of your old, uncomfortable office chair that has, it probably doesn't have heat and, and massage therapy, I'm, I'm assuming. Now you can look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. You got to try this chair out for yourself. The XHMT H-H-M-T delivers heat and massage technology right to your core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. Like I said, it's about not just comfort, but health as well. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off, so go to xchairwalsh.com now. That's the letter X, chairwalsh.com, or call one 844 4 xchair x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairwalsh.com and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. That's xchairwalsh.com. Also, you know, as the Daily Wire grows, uh, so does the amount of theocratic fascist content that I get to put out. That's what I'm so excited about, which is why it's crucial that you don't miss any of it. It might seem like a tall order, but it's actually pretty easy to keep up when you have the Daily Wire app on you at all times. It's where you'll find uh, genius political commentary like my my podcast and my content and the other shows, too which are also almost as genius. Uh, We also have new investigative journalism, which uh, which I think is great, I'm excited about that. Big tech sports coverage from our writers as well. Even if you're not a Daily Wire subscriber, you'll be the first to know what's trending with uh, mobile notifications for the latest news and all of your favorite content only a touch away. So download the Daily Wire app and stay up to speed with the freshest conservative voices around, no matter where you are. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel National Geographic. I mean, really, we could cancel National Geographic simply for rebranding itself as Nat Geo a few years ago and shifting all of its television programming over to reality shows. The National Geographic channel should be nothing but nature documentaries and documentaries about primitive tribespeople in the Amazon. That's all anyone ever wanted from National Geographic. They don't want whatever Nat Geo gives us now, and what they give us now includes a heavy dose of far-left racial propaganda, of course. The most recent and egregious example of this is something called the Race Card Project, which the company recently unveiled. To give you an idea of the tone and tenor of this thing, the editor of National Geographic, Susan Goldberg, recently sent out a mass email to readers promoting the project, and she signed the email, quote, Sincerely, Susan Goldberg, Editor-in-Chief, National Geographic, Race Card, White, Privileged, with Much to Learn. So here she is literally playing the race card but for a white person, playing the race card means apologizing. Non-white people can play the race card in order to gain sympathy and privilege. White people can play it in order to be further demeaned and degraded. And as we've discovered, many white people in this country have a masochistic fetish for that sort of thing. So they're more than happy to play the card and accept that treatment. As for the race card project itself, Nacho uh, rolled it out on Twitter. And uh, here's what it says. It says, 10 years ago, Michelle Norris launched the Race Card Project, which asks people to describe their feelings on race in just six words. She thought few would respond. Here are some of the responses out of half a million so far that she's received. And from there, Nat Geo highlights several people of different races who describe their lived experience, to use the leftist term, in six words. Um, We'll go through some of these that they highlight. First, we have a black man, Asaias uh, Maritab, who says, black boy, white world, perpetually exhausted. And we're told that his parents came here from Ethiopia, and you'd think that he'd be quite grateful to be in this country, living a life of comparative luxury and privilege, and not in Ethiopia. But no, he's exhausted. So exhausted. It's exhausting living in a first world country, well-fed, with, with access to all of life's comforts and luxuries. It's so exhausting. Just exhausted all the time. Then we have Mark Quarles, who's a black man, who chooses these six words. With kids, I'm dad. Alone, thug. Also, there's Hannah Peoples, who says, I am not an exotic creature. Hannah is not white, but we aren't told what her ethnic identity is. Apparently, the fact that people can't look at her and immediately know her country of origin is its own form of persecution. We're told, quote, Hannah People said that constant guessing game about her identity, as well as the harassment and unwanted attention she's received from creepy men, make her feel like a specimen. Her six-word story was born of exasperation, exhausted, exasperated. Then we have Jean Tagaban, who's a Native American, who says, Native Americans, America's invisible, invisible, invisible. This one struck me as a little bit lazy. I mean, he's given six words and he can only think of three. So he repeats one, three times. So it's kind of like Native Americans, America, Native Americans, America's invisible. No, actually, you get six words. Okay, well, uh, then America's invisible, invisible, invisible. There are a few white people featured, but compare their self-description with the descriptions offered by the minority participants. White guy Daniel Robbins says... Ashamed that accomplished minorities surprise me. He's given six words to describe his experience as a white man, and one of the six he chooses is ashamed. Same for Lindsay Heydrich, who's a white woman who says, I'm ashamed for my ancestors' race. Apparently she had ancestors who were slave owners. She's she's ashamed not of their behavior, but of their race and her own. The only commonality between all these responses is that everyone is dejected and sad and complaining. They're all living in the most prosperous and freest country in world history. They're all unimaginably privileged when compared to almost everyone else who has ever lived anywhere on Earth. They're all clothed and fed and doing fine. And yet their perception of their experience is completely negative. For the minority respondents, they're angry about the alleged persecution they suffer at the hands of whites. Although none of them can give a compelling example of persecution. One of them is annoyed because people can't guess her ethnicity on sight. And the other guy's are exhausted because although life is a hell of a lot better than it would be in Ethiopia, it still isn't perfect. And the lack of a perfect life is exhausting. Meanwhile, the white people are ashamed. Ashamed of themselves, even though they can't really explain what they've done wrong. So just think about this. The minorities are sure that white people are doing them wrong, but can't explain how. The white people are sure that they've done wrong, but can't explain what they've done wrong. Everyone is sad. Everyone is mad. Only the white people are ashamed. And nobody knows why they feel any of this. It's all quite sick and gross and perverse. And it shows you to what extent many in the American public have been brainwashed. This is one of the most telling signs of brainwashing. When people hold firm, often self-destructive beliefs, but they can't explain why they hold those beliefs. It also shows us that our culture is suffering from, I think, a a cataclysmic crisis of meaning. While our comfort has increased and our collective wealth and luxury has also increased, we've turned from God. We've turned from traditional faith and we have found our lives empty and purposeless because of it. I mean, that's the real reason why people are so sad and depressed and riddled with anxiety that they can't explain. But the left's racial dogma gives people a framework for understanding that anxiety. It's the wrong framework, but a person without meaning, a person without purpose, will grasp on to anything that seems solid and intelligible, even if only superficially intelligible. Because this is all the result of brainwashing, it's probably useless to engage with it intellectually, but I I will anyway, Uh, just on this one point. The idea that white people should be ashamed of their whole race because of the past bad bad behaviors of some white people is completely insane. Even if white people were uniquely evil in history, it still wouldn't make sense to be ashamed or apologetic for your race. You don't inherit guilt and sin through skin pigment. Your great-great-great-grandfather's sins are not your own, even if his skin color is. But as it happens, and this is very crucial to understand, White people were most definitely not uniquely evil in history. What, after all, are the evils that white people are supposed to be so ashamed about? Slavery? Conquest? Genocide? Racism? Well, first of all, conquest isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing for one civilization to be conquered by another. I gave the example last week of the Aztecs, who themselves conquered and enslaved their tributary states and forced them to provide fodder, often women and children, for human sacrifice. There's a reason why when the Spanish came here, they were able to easily enlist neighboring tribes to defeat the Aztecs. Think about that. You've got these strange creatures who have landed from an unknown land um, and uh, the, the, the other Native American tribes, many of them easily, quickly fell in with the Spanish and said, yeah, we want to help you take these people down. Everyone hated the Aztecs because they were a brutal, murderous, dictatorial regime. But the point is that however you feel about conquest, whites did not invent it. We didn't even introduce it to this side of the world. White people didn't introduce slavery or racism either. These are humanity's sins. They've been practiced or committed by all people everywhere through all history. The unique thing about the United States relationship with slavery is that we abolished it in less than a century, whereas some parts of the world, many of them non-white, took millennia to do the same. Some people still have not effectively gotten rid of the practice. As for racism, racism, again, is a foible of humanity, all humanity, across time. And it is today far more prominent and far more accepted and far more mainstream in non-Western countries. If white people should be ashamed, then everyone, everywhere, should be ashamed all the time. Either that, or we can all move on with our lives. And we can deal with the present. And we can let the past remain where it belongs. Whatever choice we make, as far as that goes, the one choice that I certainly can make today, at least, is to say to National Geographic, you're canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens, production manager Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva and our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro show, Joe Biden's beloved son is in hot water again after messages show him using the N word. But it's fine, he's Joe Biden's son. We'll be fine. That's today on the Ben Shapiro show. Give it a listen.